Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. What's up, guys? We have an awesome podcast for you today with Dr. Will Brundage, and we're here discussing financial education from the lens of a resident. Will is a PGY4 MedPeds chief at Loyola University Hospital Systems, and outside of spending time with his family, Will has this interest in financial independence and real estate. Currently, Will and his wife own and rent out properties in both the California and Chicagoland areas, and through a process known as house hacking, he serves as both a tenant and landlord in a triplex unit to obtain supplemental streams of income to offset his monthly mortgage. We also discuss certain principles of financial education every healthcare professional in training should be aware of, including student loan management, contract negotiations, and financial mentorship. Will is uh, full of knowledge, uh, and he has a great perspective on a lot of things, especially um, for those in in residency. So I I think uh, it's a really great podcast, and um, we'll just kick it off with a with a start of introducing Will. So hope you guys like this uh, this episode. Um, like, comment, subscribe, give us a, a rating on uh, all, all the platforms. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you have any questions or uh, like these episodes, um, this specific content, please feel free to email us. Uh, we're happy to, to engage with y'all. I, I really hope you enjoy the show as much as I did. And with that, let's uh, let's get to the podcast. Hello, everybody. Well, I, Will Brundage, fourth year, um, internal medicine, pediatric, you know, resident. So, um, I'll be finishing up here in three months. Um, I'm originally from Sacramento, California. I kind of did all my undergrad out there. Like after undergrad, I actually didn't know what I was going to do. So I was a teacher for a little bit. Um, and then once I really kind of figured out that I didn't like, it's not like I didn't like teaching. I just felt like, um, you know, just me in medicine, you're always like a, the constant learner, things are always changing. So you have to be kind of always be kind of like up to speed. So, um, I went back did like a little post back at UC Davis. And then I took my, I guess you can say took my talents to actually SGU. So I went to St. George's medical school in, uh, Grenada for two years, came back, did all my rotations in California. Um, I stocked in someone at UC Davis and, and whatnot. And then, um, you know, around that time, I figured out I wanted to do MedPeds. Um, I really like the adolescent population. Um, and so I felt like MedPeds kind of like, kind of encompassed that, you know, like kind of their the focus is on kind of like transitions of care, essentially. So um, my wife didn't want to go back down on South of California. She is uh, from UCLA, I went to UCLA. So essentially, there's more MedPeds programs in the Midwest and East. So then applied Midwest and East Coast and um, landed at Loyola, Dr. Durhammer, who I think has been on your show um, before. He, um, you know, he's a great guy. He, you know, you don't get along with your program director, you guys don't vibe, then, you know, that, that's a problem. So we vibe pretty well. So, um, so I'm here. Um, I think your other question was kind of, you know, how did my financial um, education start? Yeah. So I was in undergrad and I had, I was working at like the department of managed healthcare. It was like a student job. And my boss would always talk about like mutual funds. Yeah. Mutual funds. Yeah. Yeah. Mutual funds and stuff. And so like, I kind of always knew what mutual funds were 
I didn't really like in, invest too much at that time. I really didn't invest in anything at all. It was only like after like undergrad, I actually had to do this paper on like Roth IRAs. And so once I learned about Roth IRAs, that's when I kind of like was, I contributed like a little bit. I didn't have a lot of money, but I, I just, so Roth IRA essentially is kind of like a, um, almost like a um, post-tax account. So you don't, um, you don't have to pay taxes on it when you withdraw the money when you're in retirement age. And I think that starts around like age 60, 59. Um, so essentially I kind of contributed to that a little bit, just put cash in there. I didn't really know. I just put the cash in there. Um, and then I really started to learn more about financial like education. It was essentially when I was done with med school and I had that break between, you know, like fourth year and residencies when I kind of really started trying to learn more about it. Very cool. Very cool. So it sounds like you started really kind of this after undergrad experience, um, mm -hmm. reading up about it and it, maybe a mentor um, was just kind of giving you the, the mutual fun talk um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, before that. But um, uh, in medical school, was there, was there anything that you, you did, anything that you read or, or looked up while, um, you know, while, while you were training, I guess, in, in med school? I guess so. Man, I feel that kind of financial education in med school is like very like minimal. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, take out as much loan as you can. Don't worry, you'll kind of like pay it back, sort of thing. And it's like, you know, you should always like kind of be mindful. So I, I didn't actually read anything like during med school. Is again kind of during that break when you know you're finally done. You finally, you know, you go to like the fed loan website or who your loan servicer is. And you look at that number and you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> I have like 300 K over 300 K in debt. Like, what am I going to do with that? So at that point, that's when I was kind of like, you know, I need to start having like a plan, you know, like I need to start like, you know, what am I, how am I going to, you know, f figure out the set? I mean, I kind of knew in med school about like the public service loan forgiveness. We can talk about that later, but like mm -hmm. actually now that you're in that position where you need to actually start acting on it, that's when I started reading like pretty aggressively during that, that time. Gotcha. And I guess if you don't, if you don't mind sharing, was, was that 300 K was that like um, kind of essentially your financial situation in medical school? Where, did you have another earner in the house? I know your wife kind of works as well, but um, so you had some, some income either during medical school or um, going into residency. Did you have, did you have another source of income um, already or what was kind of your financial situation looking like? And I guess what steps do you feel that you took to become, um, you know, more grounded in, in your plan? So all that debt was from like medical school. Cause I had no undergrad debt and I had like, when I did that post back. I had no debt either. Um, yeah, I, got, I guess I got lucky with like scholarships and stuff like that. So again, all that was like med school debt. I actually did have like a job during med school. So I actually had like my substitute teaching credential. So like if I wasn't on like rotations or vacation, I can actually go back to like my old like school district and like substitute teach. And that was like paying like $120 like a day. So I do that every now and then. But other than that, I didn't really have like, a, you know, any other income. Now my parents didn't like or my mom um, you know, didn't really necessarily help me with med school. She, she really was not in a position to do so. Um, you know, my wife and my, well, my girlfriend at the time, we, um, or she was a teacher. So she was like kind of helping me, um, you know, I was living with her. So, I mean, I, I was living essentially kind of rent free, which was nice. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I'd buy like the groceries from time to time, but she helped out a lot. Um, 
and she had no debt. So she essentially kind of went to UCLA. It was a, went, got her master's in like music, education, violin performance. She had like no debt. And she was actually really good with her money because she actually like had a house too, like bought a home in Sacramento as well. So, so she's pretty well established. And I was kind of like the, the struggler. um so so i guess let's let's transition transition now to to residency um so you finish medical school kind of realize that you have um uh, a lot of this debt starting to create a plan um what what i guess what was it like to to get that you know resident salary um what did you take anything um where you're like okay i'm gonna invest money into different different locations um, are, are we just gonna, are you just gonna save up for emergency funds? Mm-hmm. Um, what I guess was your, was your plan once you started making yeah. money in residency? Yeah. So I guess during kind of that, that period between fourth year and residency, I, I don't, you've probably heard of this person, white coat investor. So he has a book. So I basically kind of just read that book and kind of gave me like a, a framework of just like how I should get my finances in order, you know, learn about like more about retirement accounts and things like the asset allocation, you know, like, you know, stocks, bonds, you know, what kind of within stocks, you know, you have large cap, small cap, stuff like that, different asset allocations. So essentially what I did was I signed with the oil. I looked at the benefits package and I looked, you know, oil offered like a 403B with a match. So essentially it's kind of like a 401k account. And then, so essentially I just made sure initially that I, contribute that I was going to contribute enough just to get that match right because you want to get a match that the employer that's like free money you can't pass up free money and then once you know I started doing that and then you can actually go into the actual 403b and you can look to see what kind of funds they offer and like here at Loyal they kind of placed you in like a target date fund so like I think it was like through uh, I believe it's through Vanguard it might have been, yeah it was, Van, it was like a Vanguard target date fund so what that means is essentially like let's say your target date for retirement is like 2015 2050. So essentially they kind of like, they kind of like build model portfolios for you um, in that instance. And they kind of, you know, will, you know, it's probably more stock heavy initially because you're younger, you can take the risk, but then as you age up, you know, or you get older, then they kind of shift more to bonds and maybe some more like fixed, you know, fixed income type stuff. Those typically have higher expense ratios, meaning like the cost to actually run those funds, maybe run just a little bit higher. So essentially you can go in there and kind of tweak things how you want them. So that's one thing that I kind of went in there and I did. So essentially the first thing I did, check my 403B, make sure I get the match. And um, I'd say, you know, resident salary is it's a nice salary, but it's not a lot. <laughs> so you know, I don't know if you'll be able to max out like a 403B because the max is like 19.5, but you know, maybe you contribute half or if you're with a significant other, maybe you just contribute to one retirement account so you can max out one retirement account. So just kind of putting some, starting to build like a, like a foundation for like retirement. And I think you also mentioned emergency fund, like it's definitely important to have like an emergency fund, right? Emergencies happen. Um, You know, being that we're residents, we're always going to have like, you know, a, a salary you know we always have you know money um so i don't necessarily it doesn't have to be like super large but like three to six months meaning i own property like real estate so i had to have probably a little bit bigger than that um so i typically go like maybe six almost like probably have like nine months of reserves right now so mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah. and I, I really want to touch on the real estate in a second mm-hmm. but i guess um before we get to that what, what did you do about your loans? Um, pay, repay, those kind of things. And can you explain kind of your thought process uh, behind uh, like loan repayment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So that's a very good question. So when you're done with med school, you need to make sure that your loans are in a, uh, a repayment plan that qualifies for essentially public service loan forgiveness. Now that doesn't mean you have to do public service loan forgiveness, like, but you should always, you know, have your loans just, in, you know, you never know, right? Maybe you start off and you think like, oh, I want to do academics. So I need, you know, do public service loan forgiveness for 10 years and then your loans are wiped clean, or maybe, you know, you're going to be like urologist, you know, maybe you don't, you won't need public service loan forgiveness, but just, you know, you don't want to blow that opportunity by refinancing to a private loan. And then you lose the opportunity to even participate in public service loan forgiveness. So the two plans that are usually that people do are is like the pays you earn and then like the repay plan. Um, so the, the pay plan, essentially, um, it only takes like your income into account. So it, it's like a 10% of your discretionary like income and it's only based on your income. Um, the repay takes you in any, like if you're married or something like that, both of your incomes together. Um, you know, initially I wanted to do pay, but I did a reconsolidation of like a federal loan, like many years ago. Um, it didn't hurt my public service loan, but it, it essentially kind of knocked me out of the pay. Um, so I'm in repay currently, which is fine. Um, you know, they both take 10% of your discretionary income. Um, so it, it's fine. I have low payments. So you just have to make sure you're on that like right away, because once, you know, you get that six month grace period, once you graduate and then your payments start kicking in for public service loan forgiveness. So you just want to make sure you're on a, you know, you're on the right plan. So your payments can, uh, can count. Gotcha. Is there a, a benefit to starting, you know, right away, I guess, let's say, you know, you get your first paycheck um, as a, as a resident, should, should we, or this is, this is not, you know, this is just kind of your, your own kind of thoughts, but do you think it's advantageous to start right away um, at that first month or is it okay to wait that six month grace period? So the six months grace, I think it's kind of already, that's like built in. That's what they it's like an automatic thing. I think like it's, they automatically don't start counting payments until like six months prior. So it's like always like around like October or something like that. Right. Cause you, or I guess it depends when you graduate the day you graduate med school, they give you the six months and then your payment and then they start kicking in. So it's kind of like, I think the only way you can maybe shorten that time is if you were to do like a consolidation of all your like direct loans into like one loan. And that would actually kind of move up the clock a little bit. So you, because the reconsolidation that would start like a new loan essentially, then you can probably do that. That I don't have too much experience in doing that, but um, there are really good resources out there that I could share with your, your viewers. If they, that's an option for them that they want to reconsolidate to federal, to a federal loan so they can start the clock early. For sure. Yeah, no, that's a, yeah, that's a, um, you know, we'd love to hear, hear those mm -hmm. uh, resources um, maybe at the end, if that's, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, but, but now I'd, I'd really like to get um, your perspective on this whole like real estate and, and rental property mm -hmm. investing. Um, so can you kind of tell me like when you started all that and how it even kind of came about? Yeah. So it kind of fell on me essentially like, um, First off, I want to preface everything by just saying that it fell in my lap, but, you know, real estate investing is, does take a lot of work. And yeah, as you know, a first year resident, I wouldn't like advise, like getting into it. Like you have to like, you have to be a good resident, right? You're going to be a doctor for the rest of life. You have to, the first year resident, you have to learn how to be a resident. You have to learn how to become efficient and everything like that. So I would say that this is more probably for like, 
you know, maybe like years two or three in your case, right? You're going to be like a, you're in like a five-year program. So it might be a little bit later, but for me, it kind of fell in my lap. And why I say that is because my wife, like I told you earlier, she owned a house in Sacramento. So when we had to move here to Chicago, we, you know, we didn't want to um, sell it. And I knew that, you know, the area that we were in is like, it's right next to, it's right next to downtown. It's right next to the college. It's a, it's a very highly in a coveted area. And plus all the people from San Francisco are moving up. So that was driving up rents and, and housing prices. So essentially I had to learn real quick. I had to learn about property managers. I had to learn like, what's a good rate for a property manager? Like how much do they take off the rent? You know, what kind of fees do they charge? So I had to do a lot of that research, like, you know, before med school, um, sorry, before residency. So we kind of, you know, I interviewed property managers. Um, I just, I kind of like Googled, like, I think I even read the book, uh, like dummies guide to property management and stuff like that. So I had to like learn like really fast because we were about to move, you know, resonance starts in June and, you know, you know, you find out you match in like March. So there's not that much time. So we, we kind of figured that I learned how to do that and essentially moved out here. Um, so basically what a property manager, is, I don't know if your viewers know this is somebody. So if you have like a rental property, but you don't want to be the landlord yourself, you can hire a company to essentially manage it for you. And obviously they will take a percentage of the rent. And it's usually like eight to 10% is usually what they take a month, right? But again, it's like they handle all the, the tenant calls. They, um, You can set like a limit to how much like, um, let's say for example, I have like a $300 limit. So they don't have to call me for any repairs under like $300. But if it's a repair that's over $300, you know, they'll email me and they'll be like, oh, you know, tenant reported this. We anticipate it might be this cost. Do you mind if we proceed, get an estimate and go forward? And basically I just say yes or no. <laughs> um, so essentially all I do is manage the manager. So I just make sure I get a statement every month and make sure everything that they deduct, everything that, you know, the payments are okay. Um, you know, what really gets you with rental properties is a tenant turnover. So if some of the tenant leaves and that's how the property management makes their money, right? Because I got to clean the unit, I change the locks, got to paint. Um, you got to do a leasing, you know, new lease so that they charge like a leasing fee, you know, charge advertising. So it's nice to get some more stable long-term tenants, but so that's what a property manager management does. So that's how I dipped my toe into that. Um, it's just, it's went pretty well. Um, obviously for the last four years, I've had no real, really complaints with that. Um, what else would you want to know about that? Yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, so that's, I, I just kind of doing a little bit of reading about this. Mm -hmm. It seems like that's more of like active, right? That's like an active real estate investment. So you are the landlord essentially. And mm -hmm. um, I think you are also a landlord here as well in your, in your house too. Um, so we can touch on that just briefly, what it, what it means to be a yeah. landlord and how much time it mm -hmm. takes, you know, out of that. But I think there's also another avenue as well called like passive real estate investing, yeah. which is um, from at least correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, it's um, essentially you're investing capital or money into like a group or syndicate kits or you know mm -hmm. whatever and they kind of are um you know putting that money towards properties and investing so um i guess do you do any of that and then i would like to just hear about your experience as an actual landlord so uh, i'll say that my sacramento home that's passive because i'm not managing it right so I, I i have a property management so essentially there's nothing active that i participate in that i literally text statements and i answer emails that's 
that's as like, passive as you can get. So my Sacramento home is passive. Um, when I file my taxes, it's called, it's essentially passive income. Now they went in, so I'll kind of like back up. So I guess, and like, so my second year, was my second year? Yeah, I guess it'll be my second, begin, like end of my second year, beginning of my third year, I had a lot of like, I like a spring break, essentially. I always take vacations during spring break because that's when my wife has her, her vacation. So, and I just, I always like kind of listen to podcasts, you know, on the way to work about real estate and stuff like that. But I had a lot of times, so one day I just like, one week, I just kind of really like dove into it. Um, and then essentially, you know, I heard this concept called house hacking. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but um, essentially house hacking is essentially, let's just say you can buy like a condo and then you live on one side of the condo and then you rent out the other side of the condo. Um, so I started learning about that, just learning about real estate numbers. And then I actually found like a local, um, like investor, real estate broker investor here. We kind of connected on Facebook and he's kind of like been my mentor. He got me put on like uh, the MLS where they list real estate homes. Essentially he was, you know, I told him like, I want to do this house hacking thing. I want to live in a unit and then rent out the others. So essentially I found a place in Forest Park right next to the library and the blue line. This was in, what was it? Oh, I, I, I officially got the place in August of 2019. So like a couple months after my daughter was born, but um, so essentially um, I found this place. I live in the first floor and then I rent out the other two units, um, you know, above and below me. Um, so essentially their rents cover my mortgage and it, uh, essentially. So I live essentially rent-free. So, um, and there's a few good benefits about that because, you know, it counts as like I'm an active investor. So you get tax benefits with that. Um, like I said, they're, you know, I'm providing a place to live. Obviously I'm not like a slumlord or anything. I'm pretty responsive when I, you know, if they have a complaint, I'm pretty like, I'm pretty on it. You know, I, you know, I have like a team. I kind of have like my real estate mentor, like kind of put me in touch with like people. So I have a really good plumber, or, you know, I have a really good like roofer, I have a good handyman. So if something happens, like I'm, you know, like I just call the people and they kind of like take care of it. Um, and then um, essentially, you know, they're paying down my mortgage and I'm building equity in a home. Right. So obviously, as you know, this, you know, coronavirus happened and then home prices just skyrocketed because, you know, just homes appreciate like crazy. So my home's appreciating. Right. And if you're paying down, you know, the mortgage that this gap right here is called equity. So you're building like equity in your home. So, um, and that in ultimately increases your net worth. Right. Which is the whole name of the game, right. Increasing your net worth. Very interesting. So, you know, so I guess how, um, how did you take that step, I guess, from, you know, did you have to like drop contracts on your own? Like all, all of that stuff. Like what are, if someone's interested in kind of doing this like hack, hack, house hacking, mm -hmm. uh, you know, thing, how do you, how do you go about doing it? It sounds like you had a great mentor, um, you know, that you were able to consult with, um, you know, how, how, what are, what are some of the steps, key steps and key things maybe financially that you need mm -hmm. to think about before you really huh. want to get involved? Yeah. You definitely have to have a mentor. Like you have to know, you have to find somebody that, especially, I mean, because again, you're, you're, you're a resident too, right? You're learning to be a doctor, you know, and I essentially have no life. It's like my wife, my kids. And then, you know, this, so this was like my, I wouldn't say it's a hobby because I was with business too, but it's like, you know, so I had to, you have to find a mentor. You, you know, cause I mean, the good thing is my, the real estate broker was also, you know, he also invests too. So he knew, so he, in terms of actually like 
you know, you know, you know, putting in an offer, like obviously, you know, he helped me with that, you know, like the inspection of the home, he, you know, everything was pretty much like very smooth because he like helped out in the whole process. So it was very like smooth in that regard in terms of actually getting the financing. So being doctors, you know, banks actually look at us a lot favorably, even though we have like massive amounts of debt, there's things called physician loans that you can get. And those actually can be ranged from like 0% down to like 5%, maybe like 10, you know, conventional loan is typically you have to put down 20% of the home value. But since doctors know we don't have a lot of money, they kind of bank on our, you know, that we're you know, residency that we're one or attendings already that we make a lot of money that we can do these loans with, you know, minimal money down. Obviously your payment might be a little bit higher, but you know, you know, the name of the game is to use as less cash as possible. That's how I think you use other people's money. And then um, and the good thing about a physician mortgage is that you don't have to a private mortgage insurance. So if you, you typically, if you don't put down um, 20%, then you have to pay an insurance on that mortgage, you know, just in case you were ever to default on it. But since you're a physician, they know that, you know, the default rates for physicians are like, next to zero because you're going to make that money so um then they just kind of weigh the pmi for you so you you know again i'm not like a paid sponsor of like white coat investor or anything like that but he has like a tab that you can click on his website and it says like physician mortgages and you i literally went on that list and i emailed everybody on that list because it's easy to get a physician mortgage for a single family home but it's very hard to get one for a multi-family home this has three units so um I was lucky to find like one provider, uh, you know, a mortgage lender that would actually finance this three unit. Very cool. Wow. Yeah. So that, so it, it sounds like it was, um, you know, there's actual, like, you know, that website and all those things actually, you know, work, you know, they, yeah. they, you, know you listen to the podcast and you're just like, Oh man, like how, or, or read the books. And you're just like, okay, really, if I just do this, is this, this is actually going to work out, but it sounds like yeah. it has in your case. So yeah, you that's just, really great. There's this thing, it's called like analysis paralysis, right? It's kind of like a lot of people like will read, you know, for years, like, oh, do this, this, but they never actually like take the step. And, you know, eventually something, you just have to like, you know, I mean, I'm not like the traditional student, right? I'm not like, I'm, I'm a little bit older than your typical, like, you know, person coming out of med school. So I was like, you know, I kind of want to get the ball rolling. So, you know, you know, I felt very, you know, comfortable, at that time, you know, you know, obviously I'm still resident, I'm still learning, but you know, I felt, you know, it was a good place, you know, to start trying to do this. So I just took the, I just took the leap. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so it, through this whole process, I'm sure there had to have been, you know, some challenges or some uh, maybe mistakes made along the way. Um, what, what were those uh, kind of barriers that you had to overcome, you know, through this whole process of buying a house, finding a house to, to actually rent, um, you know, creating the contracts, uh, mm-hmm. you know, reading up on things? Was it just time that was, you know, of the, the biggest barrier? Um, you know, what, what were some of those barriers or challenges and um, how did you overcome or even like tenant turnover, those kind of things? Um, yeah. Anything like that, that was a that was a struggle. Yeah. So time is obviously going to be an issue if you're, again, like you have to be a good resident. You, you have to be, you have to learn how to be a doctor. So time as a resident is already fairly limited at all, you know, um, so time is, is a barrier for sure. That's why it was very important to me to get like a mentor who understood that and was kind of took a care of a lot of that stuff, 
you know, and it's not like I just found some like random dude on like, you know, um, you know, there's like a forum that's called like bigger pockets. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. That's a really large, they have a podcast too. It's a very large network of like people, they talk everything, real estate. And essentially like I kind of looked on him on there and I like did my due diligence. I like researched him, see what, you know, like see what kind of properties he sold and stuff like that. And so, you know, so he helped me out a lot in terms of just, you know, closing the loan and everything in that regard. I would say um, buying an older home, you know, Chicago is just generally like older homes. So there's going to be a lot of, um, I mean, you can buy homes that are, you know, that were like more like spruced up and stuff like that, but it would cost you more money and it was out of my price range. So I had to buy like knowing that some of the, the, the things in this house that needed to be fixed, um, you know, I bought the house in August of 2019 and then, you know, October, you know, I had to put on a new roof. Right. So that was like 5,000 bucks, like right there. Right. <laughs> I mean, luckily I'm in a position where, you know, $5,000, that's an annoyance. Like I'm, I'm very perturbed by having to pay $5,000, but it didn't like break me, you know, like I was like, okay. And then I would say, you know, it was just, you know, the house needed tuck pointing. So yeah, I had to tuck point the house, you know, the, um, we did have a tenant turnover in, in June. Um, so again, I had to like find, you know, uh, people to paint it, you know, I had to change the locks. I had to, you know, like clean it and things of that nature. Um, so those things, you know, are time consuming. They could be stressful, you know, cause I have to be, you know, I always say I'm trying to like do my rotations, but I have to kind of be available to on my phone. So it's been like kind of a little juggling act, but I think, um, that hasn't been terrible. Um, I would say that um, in sometimes inheriting tenants is interesting, right? Because if you, like, you buy a place and there's people already in here with a lease, sometimes you can like buy them out of their lease or you can like have them stay. Um, the one tenant who's still here that when I bought the place, he's been great. I mean, he's been fine. Um, the other one upstairs, you know, she was fine and then caused a little bit of a problem like, in terms of like informing when she's going to leave and stuff, but I was obviously, you know, it was fine. Everything worked out. And then, you know, right now I, you know, I rented two first year medical students, like lovely medical students. So, um, so yeah, and that's the, the plan is essentially, I'm so close to campus is just essentially to kind of rent to medical students, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's definitely some stable and, you know, you know, you know, the tenants and, you know, mm -hmm. you know what they're going to do essentially. So that's, yeah. um, I can see how that's like key. Um, so kind of getting away a little bit from the real estate now, mm -hmm. um, and, and landlording, um, how else have you diversified your portfolio? Have you just been kind of sticking to, I'm, I'm kind of just working with this real estate thing, okay. or, um, are you kind of also active in, in, in investments as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely real estate's like, you know, like historically, like real estate has built like the most millionaires and like created the most like generational wealth. And I do think that's still holds up pretty true. Um, I would say probably like maybe over the last like 10 years, um, you know, like tech has been like a really big thing, right? The tech now, you know, Tesla and things of that nature. So in terms of like my investment, I do, I mean, we can't, I probably could like max out like both of our retirement accounts are for three Bs, but we always max out one. And then within those, you know, I do, I do like index funds because with my retirement accounts, I want like, obviously I want them to grow, but I'm not really into like to take like risks with like individual stocks. So I do index funds. So, you know, I'm, you know, 
I'm older than you, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit older, but I still like my risk tolerance. You have to have, you know, your own risk tolerance. Again, I'm not giving them financial advice, but like if I'm a younger person, I can withstand like the market right now is not doing so hot, but you can withstand something like that because, you know, you have time on your side. So I would allocate more towards stocks, you know, like you can do pick like an S&P 500, you know, index fund you can pick like a have a little bit of small cap in there so small cap just means like caps that are more like value-based smaller companies that have the opportunities to turn into like your amazon your googles and stuff like that you know maybe have some like international um stock exposure um you can do um like reits like real estate and trusts and stuff like that so you can invest in real estate like stocks essentially and then maybe you have like a little bit of fixed incomes or bonds or whatever but i you know, I'm, the younger I am, the more I'm stock heavy. So that's where I typically lead in that regard. Um, like other investments. I mean, I do have like a account that's not, you know, like a, like a brokerage account, right? Because I do do a bit individual stocks as well. Um, and, you know, that also takes a little bit of time. So I don't, I necessarily probably wouldn't like advise that. I, I just really started getting more heavily into that, like maybe within like the last like year or so. Um, and you have to like read a little bit about that too. So, I mean, I definitely try to max out like a, a 403B or 401k and per stick to index funds on that one. Gotcha, that's gotcha. not my advice. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Thanks. Um, it, and so I, I, I haven't had the chance to do this, but I wanted to congratulate you on your recent, um, you know, job that you, oh, you got you. offered. Um, and that's awesome. Uh, you know, first, first attending job. Um, mm -hmm. So can you tell us just a little bit about the process of, um, you know, I guess, looking at like salary, uh, looking for jobs, what's important, mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously, you know, money, money isn't, isn't the important thing. Uh, but to some, you know, you obviously need to, well, it's a big thing. It's a big thing, but you want, <laughs> but, I, I, but I guess you, you want to be comfortable in the area, right. And, mm -hmm. and make sure that you're, um, you're in the job that, that will give you that long lasting, um, you know, satisfaction. So, uh, you know, I, I find that to be also very important as well, or, or predict that's important. Yeah. But um, mm -hmm. since we are kind of talking about finances, uh, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. of course, I'd like to hear kind of how you, um, you know, either went with bargaining or, or you know, kind of, um, you know, those kind of things with your salary, how you how you shopped, I guess, for jobs, um, mm -hmm. and then kind of the, the plan that you had, um, you know, when you when you found out what you wanted to do or, mm -hmm. or and everything. So, yeah, yeah. I would just first say, like, if you went to want to be a doctor for the money, that was, you know, this is a, that's a dumb decision because, <laughs> I mean, you essentially are delaying your life, deferred, like, maintenance, essentially, as I say, like, you know, you've been making money from right after undergrad. So, like, being a doctor for the money is not, not a good, it was not a good decision. But anyway, um, you know, things that I look for, I guess, when, I mean, I, I think the first thing you always want to look for a job is location, right? You want to be in a place that, you know, you you can see yourself like growing a family, you know, you're, you're, you're recently engaged and stuff. So you got to start. Those are things that you should like have in, in the back of your mind. So for me, I was just, um, I'm originally from California, as I said, I'm, I'm not going back to California. I feel like a lot of the, um, I don't know, a lot of the, the excessive taxation is something I just... You know, I, I feel like just being in the Midwest, I have, it represents more of the values that I appreciate, you know, in terms of like family and, um, you know, like just kind of like, a, you know, 
well, it's simpler lifestyle, I guess. I don't know if that's like a derogatory thing to say, but I don't know. It's just, just the kind of life I want to live. So, um, so I knew I want to stay in the Midwest. Um, not necessarily like Illinois per se. Um, again, another high tax state. So essentially I was just kind of looking at other places, you know, like we're not too far from Indiana. I've been in Indiana. It seemed fine. You know, I do like Milwaukee too. So it was another area that I had looked. Um, so essentially I, and I also knew people in certain these hospitals that I was going to interview at like uh, residents and stuff like that. So that was very big to me. Um, you know, what I looked for in a program is again, that's going to kind of like change um, with specialty, but you just want like, does the place like offer like a good, you know, like work-life balance? I mean, are you working like all the time? Do your hours suck? Or do they have like, you know, you have a lot of ancillary help, you know, like, can you really like just focus like on, on the medicine um, per, per se? And then essentially you, obviously you want to have a competitive, you get paid more in the Midwest. You get paid more in places where, you know, you know, people not necessarily don't want to be. I mean, I would say Lafayette, where I'm going, where Purdue is a college town, I would say people would want to be there. But like Midwest, you know, your salaries are more than the coast, right? So those are things to look at. Um, sorry, what were some of your other things you wanted me to talk about? Yeah, I guess when 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 you were, I guess centering in on kind of the job that you were you were mm-hmm. liking, you 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 probably went to the area um you probably looked at it to see i'm sure you know you have a you have a kid and swear, sure mm-hmm. the school sits like you know schools are yeah. important and you know all of that um so mm-hmm. when you when you made that decision and you're like okay i think i want to i think i want to get this job mm-hmm. did you um were there any like did you hire a lawyer um to like sign that con- you know your first contract i mean you signed your resident contracts that was probably your first one but like um you know the did you really sign it or were you forced not <laughs> <laughs> we we got that um we got a lecture uh in from one of our dean's administration he was just like yeah so um yeah you have to go here wherever you match yeah, uh, there's there, it's a binding contract like not allowed <laughs> i was like okay yeah. <laughs> but um but no so you, i mean you had a decision and you, you had options so you could kind of sign wherever mm-hmm. you wanted to um you know as long as they were offering you jobs and, and whatnot mm-hmm. so um, i guess what was the signage of, of that contract like um did it did it move i guess your your salary if you if you tried to bargain for it or were you, um, are you even in a position to do that? I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Good question. So kind of just your first question about like, just kind of like the area and like for family and stuff. Yeah. So when I interview there, they usually, I don't know how it is for like, I would imagine it's kind of same for everybody. They took you on like a community tour. So like, they'll actually like drive you around and like show you, I mean, this was like, usually during when it's like not COVID, you know, they might like fly you out or, you know, you drive down there and you actually go to dinners and they like take you to all these places. I mean, they did that in some sense, but it drove us around the area and like showed us like, you know, good places to live. They showed us around like Purdue and stuff like that. They showed us like, you know, they actually asked us what we wanted to see. And then they kind of like showed us on the tour. Um, and it's like the place where I'm at has some of the best schools um, in, in the country, definitely in Indiana, in the country. So and my wife's a teacher. So she's like really on top of like that, that educational piece of that. So once we found out and it's a college town, so we knew that it was going to be a good place. And, you know, you know, I'm half African-American, half white. My wife is Chinese, you know, so it's like we obviously want a little bit of diversity 
maybe sometimes you hear it in Indiana, you might not think that, but you know, you know, in a college town, you think you get a decent amount of diversity. So we were happy with it. We were fine with it. Um, you know, in terms of actually like when you like get a contract or offered, like they say like everything's negotiable. Um, so it's funny. It's like some places will actually come out and say like, so I interviewed a few places and they're like, you know, we're going to give you this contract, but like, and you could have a lawyer, like look at it, but you know, we're not going to like change anything. And <laughs> you're kind of like, Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Thanks. You know, like, but like the place where I interviewed, like, yeah, I did have a lawyer look at it. There's like a, you know, there's a couple of like um, companies that will, that you can hire for like 500 bucks or so you, they review your contract. They also like review your benefits and stuff like that. And, you know, so they kind of went through the contract and things like so, you know, just some of the things I negotiated was like a signing bonus, you know, so I didn't negotiate a signing bonus. I think another big thing that they look at is like a non-compete. And so essentially what that means is, you know, if you're ever to get, you know, if you're ever to leave or you get terminated, you want to make sure you're terminated for cause, you know, some say without cause, you should definitely negotiate that. You should be terminated with cause. They have to have a reason to fire you. Um, that's one thing I negotiated, or I think that was already in my contract. I had to negotiate that. Um, but that, so essentially it's like an area that you cannot like practice in, you know, for like a couple of years, essentially. Um, so the thing about my non-compete is essentially I kind of wanted it gone, but then when I kind of like, you know, I kind of went to the lawyer, he kind of reviewed some things. I sent it back to Indiana and then like we actually got on the phone like and we kind of like talked about things and they said essentially since my non-compete is just the radius of the hospital like 25 miles there's no other like hospitals within 25 miles of like Lafayette right so not that non-compete didn't really matter so that's just another thing you should look at um I would say when it comes to salary there is something right here it's called the um medical group management association so it's called MGMA and essentially what they do is they publish like data, um, you know, on salaries of physicians in your specialty in different regions of the country. Um, so like Midwest, you know, North Pacific Northwest and stuff like that. And they give, they gave me data essentially based on like what I should expect, like coming into like a starting attending and then maybe like on my renewal, which was like three years out. And so essentially you want to make sure that you are, you know, in an area where you feel comfortable, your salary is, you know, like competitive essentially. So um, luckily my salary is competitive. Um, I didn't really have to bargain that. I think another thing, oh, I did bargain or talk about was like, you can like moving like relocation fees and stuff like that. That's always like, um, at least for me, it was like a, you can bargain that or negotiate that stuff like that. So there's no, I mean, if you don't close mouths, don't get fed. Right. So if you don't ask, then, you know, you have to ask. And if they say no, was the worst, that's the worst I can say. No. Right, and then right. you just have to be comfortable with it. Right. If you're going to accept it or not. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, that's always, I feel like I've been, you know, so I think the fear, right. Is that you've, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you've always been this junior student or mm -hmm. um, the junior resident. And even as a senior, you still, you know, below the fellow or the attending. And mm -hmm. um, now you technically are uh, practicing, you know, attending physician. Um, and you kind of have that, uh, I guess, how you say like clout almost to, mm -hmm. to do that, but it is your first job. So, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're junior faculty and you know, wherever yeah. you're practicing. So I could see how that could also be just a personal barrier for someone. Mm -hmm. Um, to, uh, you know, not, 
not really advocate for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it sounds like you just kind of have to do it um, and mm-hmm. maybe let either, if you're not comfortable doing it yourself, maybe a lawyer can help you um, just get that conversation started and, mm-hmm. um, you know, then kind of move on from there. But I feel like that's uh, that's great advice and it's a great experience to hear from you about, um, you know, it is possible even with your first job, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's- No, to that's go, go to your point. So the company that I used, I could have had my lawyer do like the talking with, you know, for me, essentially. Um, I just felt that was kind of weird. I mean, because I know like to have two of my co or former co-residents that are there. And so they kind of like, it was nice. I had like kind of inside track on like everything and, and you know, what to negotiate and stuff like and what they negotiated and stuff. And so like, to me, I felt like I didn't want to have like the lawyer like come in and negotiate for me because I feel like maybe that would like kind of like ruin like a relationship that we kind of already had and I had no problems like kind of you know I can say you know I'm gonna ask for it and they say no then okay I mean that's you know you have to live with that if you can live you know with that you have to make that determination for yourself um you know i think just to wrap things up everything's been awesome thus far what what is your five to like 10 year plan i guess moving forward Mm -hmm. um do you do you feel like you're are you gonna rent things out in in indiana are you gonna um continue kind of this real estate venture grow it Mm -hmm. um you know and those kind of things or uh just just curious where you want to be at i guess um you know financially or where, where you put your investments in yeah so good question so i'm definitely gonna start like scaling the real estate um gonna start i really i I like the multifamily, like the two to four unit like so like duplexes anything a little bit bigger up to four units because then that still qualifies for conventional financing so that's what i'm going to kind of focus i'm going to mind doing single family homes i'm going to actually start scaling a lot um you mentioned earlier about syndications and I, I wouldn't mind doing like syndications. Well, that means you can get on more of like, you know, apartment buildings and stuff like that, more commercial estate, maybe like, like strip malls, which obviously those aren't probably doing fairly well right now, but other kinds of commercial uh, real estate, maybe storage units or RV mobile home parks or something like that. The only thing about that, those, those require like large upfront amounts of capital. So you need like sometimes 50 K to hundred K and your money is like pretty, illiquid so it's like you put that money in you're not getting it back you know for at least like five years you know i mean you might get the the month like a quarterly like statement but like you're not going to get your initial investment back um you know sometimes i like actually owning the actual asset like it's like i own that home like i can go see it i can go touch it you know like it's mine um you know, there's good perks too. Like if you own a piece of real estate, you know, and if you need to like travel for any like business, you can like write all that stuff off. If you, if not even, if you're not even like seeing the property, you can like say like, Oh, I'm going to this to look at my property. You can write off a lot of stuff that way. Um, I wouldn't mind too doing like more like uh, investing, like, like venture capital stuff. Not like, I don't know about like angel investing, but more like venture capital. So like companies that are already kind of established and just want to like, kind of like grow. So there's some, there's some like groups and funds you can join in that, in that regard. I just think you always have to keep like savers or losers, right? Like you have to like, I've also, I have to have money like for any repairs and stuff. But I think is that now that I'm attending, you know, like I, you know, I am 
I'll have like a decent salary. I won't need as a biggest emergency fund because obviously a paycheck might, you know, be like 12 grand or something like that in a month. Like, obviously that's a lot of money, <laughs> but like, so maybe I can start scaling back, like how much cash reserves I have. And then maybe I can deploy in other assets, whether that's venture capitalism or, you know, buying more single, you know, more multifamily properties, syndication stuff like that. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Will. Uh, I think there's a, a ton of insight that at least I personally gained. I hope for everybody listening to, um, uh, you know, some of the things I think were uh, awesome principles. And and it's just cool to see a, a resident actually be able to 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 do it. You know, I think uh, I, I think for me, you know, I'm I'm just worried about the time, yeah, um, no. and, and energy and, and that type of investment. Um, but it, it's it's awesome to see. You know, even with your busy schedule having a wife, having a kid, you're still able to, to kind of manage it. So I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully that's just, uh, you know, inspiring for, for, for everyone. Um, and yeah, I just like to say thanks again. And, um, oh. you know, hopefully we can uh, keep in touch as things move forward and wish you the yeah. best of luck. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.